Hey guys, today we have Sterling Jakewith of Made for Greatness on to demystify unschooling. So if this is something you've ever been curious about, ever wondered if it's a good fit for your family, tune in because this episode is chock full of good information. Hey there, mama. This is True Presence, the podcast where Catholic moms like you and me learn to be embodied souls. St. Catherine of Siena said, be who you were meant to be and you will set the world on fire. In the midst of hurry, worry, and social media, we're doing a 180 and focusing on real presence, communion, connection, natural living, and bringing eternity into our hearts and homes. I'm your host, Kelsey, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey guys, before we start this episode, I just wanted to let you know that signups for the Simplify Your School Year workshop are now open. If you want to set up sustainable routines for the school year, then RSVP now so you can save your spot. All you have to do is scroll down and find the link for the Simplify Your School Year workshop. If you RSVP, even if you can't make it to the live session, you'll gain access to the replay and all the worksheets. I can't wait to see you there. Sterling, thanks so much for coming on today. I'm so excited to talk to you about unschooling. You've mentioned it so many times, and I've been, frankly, super curious about how you make this work. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love talking about homeschooling and unschooling and all of it. Yeah. Well, so just from a practical standpoint, I personally have had so much trouble conceptualizing how this happened. So maybe we could start with a little background. What appealed to you about unschooling? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I I began, the seed was planted in my heart for homeschooling before I was religious. So I wasn't raised Catholic. I was not religious at all. And I had a friend who was a woman's studies major, my roommate. She would come home and tell me all these things that I didn't know. And one of them was, she came home one day and was like, did you know that in other places of the world, women don't have babies in hospitals. They have midwives. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'd never heard that. And and in America, like like everyone, most women are just taught to believe like, hey, we just go to the hospital and we have a baby. And so that really blew my mind. And I started researching midwives and water births and I was super into it. And that was kind of my first foray into, I would say, countercultural living or things that were different. And, And so... Then I also started reading about the education systems. This is before I was married, before I had kids. And at that point, what I was reading were things like the education system was really designed around World War II. All of these women needed to work and they needed to do something with the kids. And so they had to take care of them for six hours a day. So they kind of created a model that matched the need to watch the children. And then also they really needed to create factory workers, because in America at that time, that's what they needed to turn out. They needed to turn out kids that could be given instructions and could produce the same results. And so I was reading some books around, hey, we don't, kids don't need to be in school for that long and they can learn what they need to learn in a much shorter amount of time. And we can teach them more things even than school. And it's kind of weird that we group them by age. Nowhere else in our life are we ever grouped by age. So I thought all of that was interesting. And I became a Protestant at 24. And then I decided I wanted to get married. And I met my husband online. And he was Catholic. And I was very not into him being Catholic at the time. But 
I was checking everybody that I was being matched with online with homeschooling. I was like, hey, I want to be a stay-at-home mom and homeschool my kids. If you aren't even on board with that, I'm not going to talk to you, which is crazy now that I think about it. But that was so important to me. I was not homeschooled, but I knew that I did not want to put the kids in school. I wanted to try it. And that's how I said it. I said, I want to try it. I didn't know. So we had the little Rosemary. And so I converted to Catholicism, got married, had Rosemary. And when she was one, I started going to homeschooling meetings and just like listening to all the moms. And that's where I heard the term unschooling. And I remember the mom who was practicing homeschooling at the time to me, this is super judgmental, but this is true. I was just like, oh, it seems like she's kind of a mess and drowning and doesn't do school with her kids at all. And it's just calling it unschooling. And I think that that is the danger of unschooling. So I kind of put that in the background for a little bit. But as I began to do homeschooling and we were doing all about reading and Singapore math and we were trying different things and there was just a lot of resistance and a lot of crying and I really didn't like it. I was like, I don't like this at all. But I also didn't want to put the kids in school yet. And so that's when I started researching a little bit more about unschooling. So unschooling is the idea of child-led learning where instead of books and you deciding the curriculum and saying, here's our schedule, You just follow the children with what their interests are. And then naturally, whatever they're interested in, you can teach them school through that interest. So for example, my oldest daughter is very into chickens. We moved up here. She wanted to get chickens. So we just make everything about chickens, all her math, taking care of the chickens. She reads, I mean, she's 12, so she reads well now. But, you know, it's just, it's a lovely way to take the stress off of the mom and to follow the kids. And the last thing I'll say, and then you can ask me more questions, is it feels really risky. And I tell people that it looks worse before it looks better. It looks like your kids are behind because in a lot of ways, school is a parlor trick, right? So if your sister sends her kids to school and they come home with beautiful projects and memorize poems, they look like they're learning a lot. And in one way, They are, but they've just memorized a bunch of things. And so your kids, if you're unschooling, look behind for maybe three or four years. So you have to really trust the process and hold on to yourself because it doesn't look good in the beginning. And then it's like this exponential curve where you have these incredibly well-rounded kids because that's just what happens when you instill the love of learning in them and you just follow what they're interested in. So we've been doing it for maybe four or five years now. So we did do, you know, straight workbooks at the kitchen table, kind of homeschooling for a long time. But I've been really happy with with unschooling since we've been doing it. Well, that really does kind of summarize so much of what my initial, you know, concern was with the idea of it. Because from the outside, it does look chaotic and disorganized. And I think my first impression of it was that unschooling kids are basically playing hooky all day. But a few years ago, I met this doctor who is one of the most well-rounded people I've ever met. Like he's so, you know, so well-educated. He runs a charity. He's like an amazing dad, super involved with his kids' lives. He runs marathons. And I was like, okay, you are the counterexample to my unschooling paradigm here. So maybe there's something to this. But how do you bring order and intentionality to what could be so chaotic? 
Yeah. So my husband has a PhD in chemistry and I had to pitch this hard to him. He was just like, what? No. And I said, when you are a good unschooler, it takes almost the same effort for the mom as regular school because you have to be so attuned to each child. And it's like a game to figure out how to notice what they're into and then how to make that about math or reading or social studies. So it, I think there's probably a bad way that you can unschool, just like there's a bad way that you can homeschool or a bad way that you send your kids to school, right? Like there's a spectrum for everything. And so some days, Kelsey, I'll walk out and the girls will all be listening to audiobooks doing puzzles. And I'm like, are they learning anything ever? What's happening? And so I still have moments where I feel like it doesn't look like we're doing anything. But now that my oldest is 12 and my next youngest is about to turn 10, they are reading at such a high level. And so it looked like they were behind for a while. But now they just read and read and read. And it's both audiobooks and physical books. And their comprehension is so much more than mine was at that age. Because sometimes I think they just breeze through that book. They didn't really understand it. And then I'll ask them questions. And I'm like, wow, they really understand it. And they say that if your children read enough, the writing skills just come. And that was a big leap of faith for me too, because my girls really did not like handwriting and writing and writing paragraphs. Every time we tried to do that, we did IEW's Writing with Excellence. And I actually really liked that program, but they were not into it. And so I was worried. But now they write at such a mature level. And so maybe their punctuation isn't great, but I know that's going to shake out by the time they're 18. And that's really the concept behind unschooling is that they just catch up so fast. Like if you did nothing with your kids until they were 10, You could teach them basic math in like one week, right? They do it so much faster later. And so I really feel like a lot of homeschooling and the challenges that come from homeschooling are about moms wanting to feel good about themselves, which I totally understand. So I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like, I get it. I get that we want to feel like we're doing a good job. But even homeschooling and the way that we do it is kind of set up to make us feel good. It does feel better when there's like boxes to check and things to say, well, look, I have progress written here on this piece of paper and it can, it does sound like it's a huge leap of faith to just trust that process. Mm -hmm. What do you do with kids who aren't reading yet? Do you actually like sit down and teach them to read? Because I can see how unschooling would work with readers. Like, yes, they do absorb so much through reading, but what about before then? Yeah. And that and it's true. I would I would say that I like traditionally homeschooled the first two girls, so they learned how to read with all about reading. But my next one, I did not, and I did not spend a ton of time with her. And first of all, I will say my rule is that they have to ask. They have to start asking to read. And my six year old boy, or he's almost six, he'll be six in two months, had started asking me, "Can you teach me to read?" And I'm like, "Yes, that's what you're looking for." Unschooling wise, I want no fight. They've got to be into it, and they've got to want to do it. Now, that's different than if they sign up for something. I do make them push through certain commitments, but certainly for reading, I want them to be really interested on their own. And so for the next girl, who's now seven, she didn't really learn to read well until just recently, just recently at seven. So you have to watch all of your friends teach their kids to read at five and have them look like good, better readers at six. And then she really looked behind, which I'll admit was a combination of 
she wasn't interested at five. She was interested a little bit later. And I was kind of busy. And I was like, I don't really have a lot of time because that is one thing that takes a lot of time. You really have to sit with them and go over the letters. And so I remember when she was six, having that thought, like, I should spend more time reading with her. But I was growing my business and we had just moved up here. And then when I did sit down with her, it went so fast because she was just a little bit older. And we were just reading some Magic Treehouse books. And I was sitting next to her, just catching a couple funny words like Pennsylvania. And but she was reading very well. And I thought, oh, I shouldn't have worried. Like she is reading very well. And I know that she's very smart and that it's likely that she will read as well as her sisters. What I'm a little unsure about are the boys, because I have never taught boys yet how to read. So my oldest boy is five, almost six. And I'm curious to see if that if schooling is different, if they'll sit for it. I heard in that homeschooling group that I started going to and Rose was just one, a lot of boys who were really not reading until seven, eight, nine. And that gave me a lot of peace that it does tend to shake out. And so I can't speak to homeschooling the boys yet. Although I will say, Forrest is asking me, and so I will start trying to teach him. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I can offer you a little reassurance. My son is seven, just about to turn eight, and he just made that big leap into really fluent literacy. Yeah. And he's he's reading books all the time now. So it it's he was not that interested in learning to read when he was five, and then last year just really wanted to dig in. How did you how, how did you feel about watching him or waiting or did you think it was behind? Well, so one of the things that's kind of an interesting thing for my family is my eldest actually has dyslexia. And mm. so reading was such a complicated process to teach her. And she does read very well now. But because I could see that he didn't, it actually felt kind of easy in comparison, mm. even though there was a little bit of a time lag there. And I just could see he was starting to put the pieces together and and trust the process, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. Now, what do you do in terms of like, what kind of guidance do you offer your kids? Like, do you guys ever make work plans? How do you decide what resources they need? Yeah. So every quarter I sit down and I say, what do you want to learn? And that's how I phrase it. What do you want to learn? And sometimes it's art. Sometimes a lot for my eight-year-old, it's usually animals. She'll just be like, I love dolphins. And I'm like, great. We'll learn about dolphins for a little bit. And and then just recently, I've been letting my 12-year-old use a computer. So we really didn't let them use computers for a long time. And so we kind of open, we're like opening up the world a little bit to her. And she wanted to incubate chickens. So we have chickens, but we've never grown our own. And so we had her research all the equipment equipment that she needed and all of the prices. And then we talked about, do you always pick the most expensive thing or the least expensive thing? Like, how do you decide which chicken incubator that you get? And then she made a list and told us, okay, this is what I need and this is how much it's going to cost. And we ordered it. And she just went through that. It, I think it takes about 30 days to incubate oh, them. Yeah. I just hatched last week. So that was really fun. I bet she and, was so proud of that. Yeah, it was really great. And so I think it looks really good at 12. But my almost 10-year-old, you know, I would just say she, and she's just kind of a joyful child who flips from thing to thing. And I'm just okay with that right now. And we like Night Zookeeper, which is, it's an online, I don't know if game's the right word, 
and they have to write stories. They basically have to create animals for this zoo and then they write stories. But what I like about it is there's real tutors in the program who will give them feedback on their work. And so the girls love it because it feels very, they get to do whatever they want and they get to make up stories about these animals. But then the other, but then the tutor will come in and be like, hey, you need a comma here. Or, you know, and they'll say, write, write a story with this verb. So they, they get some kind of basic grammar things through that program. And so as I'm thinking about Poppy, that's, that's kind of, she does night zookeeper. She reads, she does puzzles. They do a lot of art and they play outside a lot. That sounds like a really great program. I might have to actually look into that because we're hitting that age where my kids need to be practicing their writing a little more. Yeah. I was zero screens for a while. I was just scared of it for me, honestly. And I was scared about managing it. And it was just last year that we were like, okay, we're going to try it. I told them all, I was like, if I don't like it, I'm taking it away. So this is not a permanent thing. If it, if you guys look like zombies or if you start fighting with me or just any of it. But we we found that we really liked Night Zookeeper. And then there's a math one we like, Komodo, like Komodo Dragon. And what I like about it is there's no games in it really. And I don't mind games. I actually like games, but I just wish a lot of the math programs, the kids have to do a certain amount of math and then they go to a gaming part of the thing and then they can stay there as long as they want. And so I'm like, well, I don't like that. I I wouldn't mind it if they did math and then played a little bit of a game and then had to come back. But Komodo is just pretty much straight math. And then at the very end, their Komodo dragon is just like, yay, with an animation like that. That's it. That's all it is. And then they go back to doing math. So again, I don't make them do it. It's just available. I would say my job in planning and is resourcing them, just asking, what are you interested in? And then having the things around. But the whole concept of unschooling is that humans naturally want to learn. They want to learn. They want to know. And so they will put the effort to learn something when it's important to them. And that shows up in our family a lot around baking, too. Like as soon as they want to make something, I'm like, okay. But you have to understand fractions and you have to understand how to read directions. And so that's a big milestone for them that they are excited to work toward. Do you have any kids that seem to need like a little extra push to start doing any education or that would just be inclined to play all day? Or is that even a problem with unschooling? Yeah, I, I would say I would say that my almost 10 year old plays a lot. And it isn't a problem to me. I think I have really happy kids. And, you know, as a, as a life coach, my goal for them is that they are emotionally regulated and they have tools to calm themselves down and to discern what God wants them to do for their life. And so I don't have very strong scholastic goals for them, right? Because we just don't even know what world these kids are going to grow up in anymore. And so to me, those other skills, those emotional intelligence skills are much more important to me. And I'm now, now that we've been doing it long enough, I'm such a believer that they catch up so fast. I mean, I think we taught one of the girls multiplication again, like in a week and she was old. And so she was like, cool, I got it. And, and there's just, so my husband and I, when I pitched this to him, I said, he said, well, what about like learning the state capitals? That was just like one random thing that he thought was important. And I said, is that important? Like right. do you know the state capitals? Like, are I'm you not sure I remember all of them? Yeah. And, and so I Googled it after he said that. And I found this amazing article 
talking about unschooling that said, well, they don't need to know the state capitals, but they need to know the major cities in the world. So they need to know that Tokyo is in Japan. They don't need to know the state capital of North Dakota. They're not a player. They need to know that there is a North Dakota, right? But I think when you feel nervous about your kid's education, I just want you to think about your own. And I want you to think about what did I, what did I really retain from those years? And do I think that that's still important? It's true. Like so many times people will say, I don't know why my kid's learning this. I never use this. And they do waste a lot of time on that. But I've been thinking about, like you're saying, we don't know what kind of a world our kids are going to go into. And one of the things I've been thinking about is with artificial intelligence coming in, that's going to shake up everything for them. And it's a time where just having that ability to be a self-starter, to have like an entrepreneurial mindset would be so much more useful than being a storage vault for a whole bunch of information. And to ask good questions. So I have been, I don't let the girls use ChatGPT without me, but I've told them what it is and I'll bring them and I say, look, here's this thing that's going to change the world. Okay. You're going to need to know how to do this. But here's the thing about ChatGPT which is, for those of you who don't know, it's a, an AI chatbot that you can ask questions to and it gives you amazing answers. But actually, it only gives you answers as good as the question that you ask. And so that is going to be the new major skill in the future is who can ask the best questions. And if you have no base knowledge, you wouldn't ask great questions. So if you didn't understand what the Roman Empire was, right? And why it was important and that it fell and why it fell. You And you were to write a report on that. You might say, chat GPT, write me a report on the Roman Empire. And it would spit one out. And I saw a professor who was like freaked out. And he was like, oh, the kids are using this to write their papers now. I'm like, yeah, of course they are. Immediately, if I was a professor, I would pivot and say, all of you must write your papers using ChatGPT, and whoever asks the best questions and gives me the best paper wins because you would have to have the right kind of knowledge to ask ChatGPT. How is what happened to cause the fall of the Roman Empire happening to the United States right now? That is the question that I would ask. And then it would give me this amazing comparison, and then I would turn that paper in. And so you right. you'd have to know, like base knowledge will still be important. And then asking really good questions. Cause I'll, so my oldest, we had some milk and we don't usually have milk. I was very lactose intolerant. So I didn't grow up drinking milk. So I'm not anti-milk, but we just don't have it in our house very often. We had some milk and she was very excited. And she said, what can we make with the milk? And I said, well, let's go ask ChatGPT. And so she said, but I've been training her. So she goes in and says, what are some milk recipes? And I knew that was the wrong question. It gave her recipes for how to make buttermilk, right? It gave her recipes to make milk. And I said, oh, why wasn't that the right question? And she saw it and she's like, oh, I should have said, we have extra milk. What recipes can I make using the milk? And then it gave us a bunch of recipes. So that I think is going to be a huge skill for children. Yeah, I think it's really important. We need to embrace the way the world is going and then train up our kids to be in that world and prepared for it. And so when we're looking at this, one big question I still have is what about things like reporting requirements? Because while we might not necessarily care about all these things, when it comes to things like high school, how are we going to make sure if you do unschooling that your kids are getting the right credits to get into college and hit everything up that they need to do? Totally. So every time someone asks me that, I'm like, oh, 
still sending kids to college? Is that a thing? Are we all still, you know, believing this 40 grand a year for a subpar education thing? And I, I think parents really need to challenge themselves on that. But I have a friend whose son wants to be a autopsy doctor. I forget the name of the people who do autopsies on people. And he's always wanted to do that. And so that job requires medical education in college. So if I had a kid that was trending that way, either hard sciences or any of the things that require school, one, that means they're interested in right? If they're interested in it, then I would tell them, okay, well, then you're going to have to take, you know, the SATs and you're going to have to get a really good score. So first I would teach them about test taking. Test taking in and of itself is a skill. So that would be the first thing that we would learn. And that would be fun. Learning how to take tests and beat the test would be fun. And I would build that up before I taught the SATs. So I think you'll know by the time they're 14, 15, even your freshman grades, I feel like don't matter very much. And if you're a homeschooler, you can make them up. But I, I, and I did two years of college while I was in high school. So I did one of those dual enrollment programs. So if I had a kid that wanted to do that, I would sign them up for that. I would be like, hey, you should just start, you should knock out English 101 when you're 17 and just get credits for it. And then I wouldn't worry about the credits. So I think it's a solvable problem if you are attuned to your kid and you know what they want. One of the books that I read about unschooling talked about this girl and all she did was art until she was 16. Like, I, I, I'm telling you guys, it looks worse before it looks better. So all she did was art. And then she was like, hey, I want to go to NYU and study art. And her parents were like, yeah, that's a pretty hard school to get into. Here's what you'll have to do. And she just put her head down and did it because she wanted to. And that's really what unschooling does is it creates children who want to learn and figure it out. And in the end, I think that is the most marketable skill that there is. That's awesome. And I think it's so true. It's so true. We really do need to rethink the whole college is the path to success thing too. I mean, the job market's reflecting that right now too. People want people with actual skills and college isn't necessarily giving that to people anymore. Yeah, I've had 14. No, he's not 14. He's 17 year old asked me about business school because I have a finance degree. And he was like, oh, should I go to business school? I was like, for sure, no. He wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was like, I will just give you a list of 100 amazing business books and you should just read those. And then you will have a better entrepreneurial education than if you went and spent four years getting a finance degree. Yep, that's a really good idea. A better way to do it for sure. College doesn't prepare you for entrepreneurship. No, I don't, there are some jobs that really need college. I'm not against college, but I want the kid to really know and I want to line it up. You know, what's the investment? What's the return on that? Can we get it any other way? And if the answer is no, if you want to be a vet, there's one way to be a vet. There's not multiple ways to be a vet. And so, you know, you're signing yourself up for college, but then the kid should be motivated enough to do what it takes to go through it. Well, and that makes sense because think about how many people like they sign up, they go to college and then they drop out after a year because, you know, it isn't something they had a clear plan for what they were going to study and learn. They're not motivated. They just think of it as something they have to do or that is, you know, what people do. And and they don't they don't have any motivation to keep sticking it out through to the end. Yeah. Now. Were there any resources or books that you particularly loved when you decided to start unschooling that might be helpful to our listeners? 
You know, I love Elizabeth Foss's book, which isn't about unschooling, but I feel like she has a very loose take on homeschooling and following the kids. It's called Real Learning Revisited. And I really love that one. There is a there there aren't actually great unschooling books. It's actually better to read blog articles about it. So I would just encourage people to Google unschooling or to put unschooling in YouTube. There is a family who has a YouTube account called Norp. Their last name is Norp, K-N-O-R-P, Norp and South. And they traveled around in an RV and unschooled their kids. And they really talked about that experience. And they had a lot of kids because when I when I first considered doing it, I thought, oh, yeah, I bet it's easy to unschool two kids. And I kind of was worried that unschooling six kids would be hard. Because again, if you're doing it the right way, it takes a lot of work for you to like always be behind them being like, what are they into? How can I create an environment where they want to learn more about that? And so I really like them. If you, I think if you Google Norp and South unschooling, they have a video with their kid, one of their kids talking about it. And it's just been really interesting to see how their kids have launched into the world. They're a Mormon family. So I love their family values. And I, I just really, I find that they're very inspiring. So there is a, a book about the Sudbury Academies. Let me just, who, what is that book? So a Sudbury Academy is a type of school that basically is an unschooling school where all the kids go and there are no rules and the kids determine the rules and the teachers are just in rooms and they're just like, I'm available anytime you want to ask me a question and the kids can do whatever they want. And I really enjoyed that book, but in the end, it it sounded so magical because there were kids of all ages together and I knew that I couldn't recreate that at home. So then it just made me a little sad, even though it sold me on unschooling and following the children's desires. I was like, well, that sounds really great. And I don't have that. And so I just like to tell people that they don't fall in love with the Sudbury model thinking, okay, now I have to go find a bunch of families and put the kids together. I think you can still do the unschooling thing at home. And actually, Recently, they created a Sudbury Academy near our house, and I was pretty excited about it. But it's a secular group. So the kids can have cell phones. They drink a ton of soda. Like, there's literally no rules. So if you had a Catholic Sudbury Academy, I'd be okay with that. But if it's not, it's it's probably not not right. And so if you Google Sudbury Academy and read that book, I found it really inspiring for what kids can do especially if you just give them space. And one kid just like played guitar one year and played video games one year. And then it was a little bit before his senior year that he finally realized that he wanted to learn more about psychology and brain science. And then it's like in that one year, he caught up on all of the school things and then went to school for that. And so those stories are really encouraging. That's so amazing to think about. We really do need to just trust that when our kids are motivated, they're going to make things happen. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Sterling. This was such a great conversation. I hope it was very helpful to any of our listeners who are looking into unschooling and just wondering what that looks like. So thanks again. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. So Sterling, how can people find you? 
Yeah. So I run a life coaching membership for Catholic moms to help them with emotional regulation, just like I do with my kids. I teach them how to calm down and have more peace because we are much better problem solvers and much better moms when we are calm. So you can learn all about that at madeforgreatness.co. And we also have a podcast that has the same name, Made for Greatness. So you guys can check that out. And guys, I have to say, I've been in their master's program and benefited so much from it. So make sure you check them out. All right, friends, if you liked this episode, one of the ways that we can get more awesome guests on this show is if you leave a review. So scroll to the bottom of this episode where the reviews are and hit those stars and then write me a little message about what your favorite episode was. I promise to read every single review and keep trying to get you the guests and information that helps you through this mission of motherhood.